Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yordana Asman, here with my friend and Chavruta Aaron Gordon. Our daft today, Masachet Kedushin, Daf Nun Zion, page 57. Um, I really just want to read a very interesting passage that appears right at the top of this staff. If you recall, what we're in the middle of a discussion of is based on our mission that we saw on Nud Vav on page 56, where the mission listed a variety of prohibited items that are not allowed to be used for Kedushin, like an Egla Rufa, a shore, right, an ox that is going to be, that was condemned to be stoned, the hair of a Nazir, the birds of a Mesoer, a variety of different things. And essentially the Gemara discussion around this is, is taking each of those items and saying, how do we know that because it's a pro- that is an item that is prohibited from being used for anything else? And so it's in the middle of discussing the specific example of the Shor HaNiskal, uh, the ox that is, uh, that is condemned to death. And one of the things it says or it wants to know is how do you know Hana'at Oro Minalehu? How do we know that you can't have any benefit from its hide? So the Gemara answers that the Pasuk says, this is on the bottom of, of Nunvav, Mi et Bisaro, right? It's from the word et that is in the phrase et Bisaro, et atafel Bisaro. The et serves to include th- that which is in addition to its flesh, which also would mean its hide. The idach, and so the Gemara then says that the other, uh, just the other person, will, which is the opinion that derives that the prohibition of benefiting from the hide um, is comes from a different set of words, right? What does he do with different words from that pasuk? What does he do with the word et from the phrase of et bisaro? And the Gemara says et lo darish. The Gemara says, and now I'm at the top of. Nun Zayin Amaralaf, right at the top of our dab, that that person actually doesn't do anything with the word et. And then they quote a very interesting brisa here. Kiddetanya, it was taught in a brisa. Shimon Ha'am Sunni. So Shimon Ha'am Sunni, V'yimrila Nechemya Ha'am Sunni. Some people say his name was Nechemya Ha'am Sunni. Hayadoresh kol atin shebatora. Anytime there was the word et in the Torah, he could give a drush about it. He would give something that it meant to include something. It was there for a purpose. But then he got to this pasuk from Devarim chapter 6, verse 13, which says, you shall fear God, at, right, at Hashem Elokecha. And he, it says, Perish, he withdrew. He couldn't find anything to say that that et included something else. And so he said, okay, that et is not significant. Amr lo tamidav, right? And so then his students came to him and said, Rabbi, call atin shadarshta, Right? What happens then of all the other ets, right? All the other time that the word et appears in a in a verse, what happens with that? Are you going to say that because you couldn't find a meaning for the et in this pasuk, then really the word et is not meaningful? And so anytime you did come up with an explanation for it, it actually isn't correct. So what does he do? Um, he says, Amar Laham, he says back to his students, Kishem Shekibalti Schar Al Hadrisha. Just as I received a reward for explaining this word, adds, so too I also got a reward for uh, the you know from separating myself from not from not giving an explanation. Rabbi Akiva made until Rabbi Akiva came and he found this pasuk at that the ed comes to include Torah scholars. The Torah scholars should be feared or revered the same way that God is. 
So I, I think this is a very interesting brisa because the original opinion that's being shown here of Rabbi uh, Shimon or Rabbi, or Nehemiah, depending on who we're talking about here, is the idea that like knowing when to not interpret is just as important as knowing when to interpret. And therefore, it doesn't invalidate the interpretations he gave to the word at because he also knew when to not interpret uh, as well. And that was what was significant. And then it's interesting to see that Rabbi Akiva consistently, we know, we've always talked about as sort of the most creative of of the Tanaim. He has the most creative types of exegesis. He was able to figure out what to do with that at. But it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the, the, that not, but the, the Brisa is not critical of the fact uh, that originally they couldn't find an explanation for it. So I think we just learn a lot in this very short passage about some of the ways that exeg- halachic exegesis actually took place. So I always like the rabbi repetitions, some of which, you know, become very, very powerful and halachic, the halachic basis for what we do. And some of them, especially when he gets into Agatha, every so often he's rebuked for his more creative, you know, ways of looking at things exactly as you said. I want to move on. On Amabet, we have some of the, still looking for the sources of these prohibitions, um, but some of the more... I, I don't know, maybe more creative or less obvious ones on the list, particularly what had struck me, including when we were reading the Mishnah, is the Sa'ar Nazir, right? The hair of the Nazir, which is growing because he's taken a vow not to, not to, or to be a Nazir, as we'll remember, means that he's not going to be cutting his hair. So then the question is, why is the hair itself where does that? Where do we get the idea that that is prohibited for benefit? gadel So it is literally the verse in Bamidbar Numbers chapter six says he will be holy. He will let the locks of the hair grow long. The ha- the hair of his head grow long, meaning the fact that the verse begins with kadosh. It's really talking about him, the person, the Nazir. But it, it is then kind of like applied throughout the verse, Gidulo ye kadosh, so that the hair growth will also be holy. And then the very fact that it is holy is what becomes a problem then for for using it for Kiddushin, right? Because the Gemara says, if the hair of a Nazir is going to be likened to consecrated property simply by using the word kadosh, right? So then we have to say that the same way that something that is consecrated property should also be able to be redeemed and therefore lose that same sanctity, right? And therefore you can then, let's say, use that money for kiddushin. So then that's also the, 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 the Gemara's point is like, if you want to treat the hair as kadosh, then treat it like kadosh in other ways as well, including the fact that you could redeem it and use the value for kadosh in that case. So then the Gemara says, Mi karinan kodesh, kodesh karinan. I'm sorry, Mi karinan kodesh, kadosh karinan. Why are we saying kodesh in the verse, right? The verse itself, uh, where it says, literally, um, again, just just above, kadosh, yeah, but it's written kuf dalit shin, not kuf vav dalachin. So how do you know how to read it? Maybe you should read it as kodesh and not kadosh. So the Gemara answers this. No, no, no. We read it as kadosh, right? Because that's that use of the term is exactly where we get the idea that the halachot of the hair in general, 
is not quite that of consecrated property. Meaning the moment if we had said it was Kodesh, if we had said it was Kodesh, then that is the term that's used for consecrated property to begin with, as opposed to having to use our thumbs to come to a conclusion that says, yes, this is consecrated property. What's the difference? The difference is implications in other categories, in other arenas of what you can or cannot do with that hair. Can you redeem it, for example, or not? Okay, I'm going to jump down to another one, which is basar b'chalaf, meaning we know, we we may know just in, as a matter of the rules of kashrut, that meat and milk cooked together are asur b'hana'ah, that you cannot get benefit from it. Matnitin, I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead. Basar b'chalaf minal, and how do we know this? How do we know that it's prohibited? Datana we have this prohibition not to cook the the kid in the milk of its mother, is written in the Torah three different times. Echad isur achila, v'achad isur hana'a, v'achad isur bishul. So the Gemara here says, right, the fact that it says these three times, the first time it prohibits the eating of meat and milk, it prohibits um, the benefit that you would get from meat and milk cooked together. And the third time says you can't do it to begin with. There's a prohibition in the act of the cooking itself. It's a little bit interesting. I might have thought that the act of the prohibition the act itself would be the first prohibition on the list, but the bottom line is, you know, this is, it, it, these are the three, and we understand that, right? So this, of course, is not a universal opinion, although we might think it is because it's what's come down to us. Rabbi Shimon ben Huda says explicitly that the prohibition is simply there's a prohibition against eating meat and milk cooked together, but not of benefiting it. And he has two verses that come together to teach this, one in Devarim and one in Shemot. The first is one of the cases of you will be a holy people. Then there's another place in Exodus 22, Shemot, Kavbet, where it says, you will be a holy people. Just as the other, the one place says you cannot eat, but you could get benefit, because really what it's talking about in the Shemot case, in the Exodus case, is about an, uh, a novella, an animal carcass, right? So it's prohibited to eat, but you could get benefit from it. So, like, for example, you could sell it to an Anjou and then use that money, right? So here, too, Afkan, Asor So, too, according to Rabbi Shemot Behuda, um, meat and milk cook together is prohibited to eat, but you could get benefit from it. I find it very interesting that the Gemara takes the time here, of course, to get into all the rationale for the prohibition against benefit, and then ends on the note of that minority opinion that says um, we can, we, the, the view of that it, you could get benefit. In any case, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us for views where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hundred website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>